As I think about the song, Jesus, Let Us Come to Know You, you ever wonder what Jesus was like as a person? I mean, not Son of God and, and not Emmanuel and not, he was all those things, but as a person. You know, he lived in a, a physical body. He had a, a, a face that looked a certain way. He had a laugh. He had a smile. He had a way of, of acting and mannerisms that human beings had. He had a way of talking. He had a voice inflection. His voice sounded a certain way. You've only experienced this kind of thing when you lose someone close to you. And you think, even if they're Christian and they've gone on to victory, I'll miss their smile. I'll miss their voice. I'll miss this, these things, the way they did uh, this way, the way they sang, the way they uh, interacted, the way our friendship was, the way they were at our family dinners. There's that human element. And don't misunderstand, I'm not detracting from the, the, the godly element, the deity of Christ. But he became flesh. I've often wondered what Jesus was like as a person, because I know him as Savior. Of course, it's impossible for me to know. It's all speculation. I remember one time that I was having a conversation with Brian Middleton. And I don't know. Brian, you want to tell him what you said? No, he has no idea. I said, Brian, I've often wondered what Jesus was like. Brian said something that has stuck with me. He said, I think Jesus was an absolute delight to be around. I think he smiled a lot more than we imagine him smiling. I think he laughed at more things than we imagine him laughing at. Because he drew people. And there has to be something within your personality that draws people. I think he was an absolute delight to be around. I love the picture of Jesus like that. I'm not sure if you have a hard time considering the human side, but I also think Jesus was a very funny guy. When you look at some of the ways in which he talks and the illustrations that he uses and the stories and the way in which he responds to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, sometimes I read stuff and I go, that's funny. Jesus was a funny guy. It was hard for me early on to imagine God as funny. But I don't just need to look at the life of Christ to see humor and joy and the love of living in Christ. All I need to do is turn to an Old Testament story and see how funny God really is. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. On Sunday nights, we are in unswerving, and the theme of this, the verse, theme verse for this series has been Hebrews 10.23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And so my goal, as it has been every Sunday night, is to tell the stories that personify the lessons of hope and faith and how God interacted with their story. You say, God being funny. Almost sounds sacrilegious. All right, our story tonight, hopefully you'll understand what I'm talking about. Turn to the book of Jonah. 
Now, I know you know Jonah as that fantastic VBS story over which we pour over this prophet of God being in a giant fish, a great fish. Was it a whale? Wasn't a whale? We don't know. But the scripture simply says a giant fish capable large enough of swallowing a man. But there's, there's many deeper lessons to this very short book. So what we're going to do tonight is focus just on the very last chapter, chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. Now my Bible, Jonah, is, you know, you, can't, you don't have to turn the page. So just look over to chapter 4 and bear with me as we read that chapter of this story. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Why was he angry? We'll talk about it. He prayed to the Lord, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious God, compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. A God who's slow to anger, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went and out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what God waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine, but at dawn the next day God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have any right to be angry at the, about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine? Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Uh, Jonah, to me, is more than just a story about a prophet who's reluctant. It's a story about God sort of messing with Jonah. God just pushing his buttons. We have that phrase around our house with a phrase you have to have if you have more than one child because siblings are just good at that, right? Raise your hand if you're really good at pushing your siblings' buttons. I like how the teens are, yes, enthusiastic. Uh, raise your hand if you are the ones whose buttons are constantly being pushed. Uh, okay. This is funny because... <laughs> God uses humor to make a point to Jonah about the absolute atrocious condition of his heart. Here is Jonah worried about being comfortable, worried about not being sunburned and, and, and being hot and just not feeling good. And, and 
And yet he, he's not concerned about the souls of 120,000 people. I know we would never be that way. I know, I know. We're always focused on the big picture. We're always thinking about the souls of men. It doesn't happen to us. But just for humor's sake, humor me as we pour into this a little bit and talk about why this story is in the Old Testament and what lessons God might have for us. First of all, Jonah is furious. He's furious first because he knows that God is so merciful. I've never seen that in my life. You've got to get to a point where you're really jaded to go, oh, here's God again. He's full of mercy and compassion. I mean, if you can't respond to that, what kind of heart do you have as a prophet? He's selfishly angry. You know, we talked about selfish anger and self, uh, self-righteous anger versus righteous anger. He is selfishly angry. He's just sitting there. You're going to see his bottom lip sticking out as he sits there at the east side of the city and just glares. He's just mad. You ever been there? You ever been selfishly mad and upset about the way life is and about the way it's going and about what God didn't do for you and about how God seems to be concerned about other things than what you're concerned about at that very moment? I know you haven't, but some people, I'm sure. To this end, Jonah, who is furious gets a response from God, and God's response is funny. He provides a a vine to grow up and to give Jonah shade, and then he provides a worm to kill the plant. He's just pushing his buttons. He delivers a scorching east wind and a blazing sun, and the only thing in that whole interaction, as God's trying to get his attention, the only thing that Jonah can put his attention on is the ridiculous plant, the stupid vine. There's 120,000 people going to hell, and Jonah's concerned about the vine. He just gets angry and he pouts. He has no pity or concern. Well, let's talk about, before we get to some of the lessons, some of the facts. Number one, Jonah 1 verse 1 tells, he, tells us he's the son of Amittai. We know he was called to Nineveh. Um, Jonah, by the way, 2 Kings chapter 14 verse 25 says that he was from, that Jonah was from Gath-Hefer, which is by Nazareth. And he's called to Nineveh. Now, you probably know this. I'm guessing Sunday night crowd does. But Nineveh is a Gentile city. So we consider... Uh, man, here is Nineveh. How can you not love Nineveh? But, you know, think of, you know, think of God calling you to go be a missionary to Iran. And that's kind of probably the closest modern par- uh, comparison I can give. In his mind, there's just such, ah, Nineveh. There's just such uh, revulsion at the idea, at the thought of going to these heathen, why even waste time there, God? Why even bother? 
What's the point? I mean, yeah, you have other things you need to be doing. Those people are lost. Write them off. Forget about them. He, He was the prophet to Israel. This is about the 8th century. It's a, he's a prophet to the ten northern tribes. And he is, in this time, it's relatively a peaceful time. Not a lot of wars going on with uh, the neighboring countries. Interestingly enough, the name Jonah, for the prophet, the name actually means dove. So it gives you a picture of this peaceful time that they're in, this comfortable time that they're in. And Jonah is called to get really uncomfortable because God has a mission. Sometimes we got to get out of our comfort zone to go where God is calling us to go. And finally, why is it even important? I mean, some people question the, valid- the whole validity. It can't even, even be possible. It's not even plausible that a fish could swallow a human being and they could survive in there. That's not even, that's beyond the realm of possibility. It's obviously clearly false. It's clearly fiction. It's just a parable. It means something else. Listen to me now very carefully. This is why the importance of understanding Scripture is so, it, it's all connected. You see, Jesus himself In Luke chapter 11, we're going to go there, so you can turn there if you want. Luke chapter 11, he talks about the story of Jonah and being being not just a sign for that age, but a sign for this age. You see, if this story is a lie, if it's fiction, if it's a parable, then there's a big problem. The problem is that Jesus then becomes a purveyor of fiction. A teller of lies, a teller of tales. Either he was ignorant of it or just he was passing the lie along. So you get on your Google and you, and you, you know, search for why Jonah can't be true and it's got all of these reasons. Chipping away, what's happening is not just a chipping away at the story of Jonah, but if you can, you can be successfully sold that this small little book is a lie, it's a parable, it's fiction then what's happened there is huge. Because then instantly Luke chapter 11 becomes a lie, a parable, fiction, something which Jesus told that was untrue. And if that's true, then he certainly was not Lord. So this small little book means a great deal. Here's what Jesus said in Luke 11, if you're concerned with it. When the crowds, this is verse 29 of that chapter, when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For Jonah, for as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will be the son of man to this generation. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, someone greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, someone, something greater than Jonah is here. Is this story factual or pretend? Well, 
this, was a, this is a modern picture, by the way, of a whale shark almost swallowing a diver. To give you a little bit of perspective, um, I, I, the whale shark did not swallow the photographer. Uh, so there's no record of if he survived or would he have survived for three days. And then for that matter, I'm pretty sure the photographer would not be willing to partake in such an experiment. But did Jonah... Would he have survived? I certainly think he could have. You can find lots of information about all sorts of weird things that are found inside fish that have been there a long time that shouldn't be there. I don't know. He certainly could have made it inside. Would he have survived? I think he could have, and I believe that the story is true, so, then, so I know that he did. And if, Jesus isn't, if Jonah isn't true, then, as we said, Jesus is a liar. Pay attention, Matthew chapter 12. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teachers, we wish to see a sign from you. He answered them, An evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign. But no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Okay? So, it's, in my estimation, it, there's a strong case to be made that it's absolutely true. And if you think for a moment that there's no, it's not a big deal if we don't really buy that it was an actual event, it was an actual story, you're buying into fiction. It's very important that you understand that not only is the story true, but what Jesus said concerning the prophet is true. Now, it is true that Jonah was a flawed prophet. Okay? He disobeyed God. He ran from God in verse 3. He's selfish. Okay? He's willing to throw himself overboard so that he can save the sailors as he's fleeing in the great storm, you remember. But he, he will not save Nineveh. He, he's short-sighted. Uh, he, he, even when he obeys, it's reluctantly. You know, it's not until he's been in the fish that he prays to God. He preaches reluctantly. He's not happy about this calling. He's not fulfilled in his heart. It doesn't give him warm fuzzies. He is, you know, just selfish. He's ticked off that he's got to do something that God, that God wants him to do that he does not. He gets angry at God, and we talked about that this morning. He pouted at God. He argued with God. But all of that being true, this is interesting to me, God still used Jonah. God is still going to use him to get his message out, which tells me again and again that God doesn't need us to be able. He needs us to be willing. And in the case of Jonah, he almost didn't need him to be willing. He wouldn't override his free will, but, you know, stick a guy in a fish for three days and three nights and watch his free will come around, okay? He was was going to use him almost in spite of himself. Just, I just want to let you, let that sink, hopefully marinate in your mind for this week. We get so caught up in, like, I'm not gifted and I'm not called and I don't have this gift and I don't have this ability. If you're depending on God, it's not about any of that. It's absolutely about God's ability to do it through you. You just need to be open and willing and obedient. 
Jonah fled from God's purpose. And this is a guy, in in chapter 1, verse 1, he was called directly by God. I mean, he had the calling. There was no questioning what God wanted him to do. He saw the miracles of God, whether it was the great wind and the calming or, or being alive, uh, surviving in the fish, the fish being commanded to spit him out, the repentance of Nineveh, which in and of itself to me is the greatest miracle of the story, the, the, the overnight springing up of the plant, the worm, the east wind. He, he saw God working. He heard God's voice. He had a conversation with God. He saw revival in Nineveh. And yet he was still reluctant. I usually think that if I had, man, I I would love to have the Samuel moment that we talked about this morning. I'm just lying there in bed and I'm kind of thinking about the day. And all of a sudden I hear this, Toby, Toby. I mean, that would be cool. To me, that would be like very convicting of what I'm doing. But not always is the case. Jonah had a moment. And he was reluctant to take hold of it. You see, it's not just about God's purpose will always prevail. Please don't misunderstand me. But the question of whether we're going to be involved in that purpose is in our hands. So my question to you is, are you going to line up with God's purpose? Are you going to keep running away? Keep fleeing from God because you have better purposes in mind than God, at least from your perspective. We pick on Jonah, but I've run a lot in my life from the things which God has called me to do. Regardless of how God reveals himself or works, faith is always ultimately the choice to believe God enough to simply do what he said. Boy, he has times when we make excuses. In his own mind, he had written them off. They would never hear your word, God. It's a waste of my breath, and it's a waste of your calling. Can I just give you a visual of the response that Jonah had toward God's calling? Here's a visual. Okay? He's in Joppa. God calls him to Nineveh. This used to have a laser on it. And as soon as he's called here, he heads for here. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's easy to pick on Jonah. Sometimes God needs us to do the thing we least want to do. And our response to that, it may not be as visually portrayable But in our hearts, he calls us here, and we go there. God forbid that ever happened. And if you're in that spot, I mean, either personally or publicly, I want to call you to repentance. Because repentance is the only way that you turn back from where you're fleeing and get back and lined up with where God is working. I I love this from... Henry Blackaby's book, Experiencing God, I'm not fully 100% endorsing it, but this part he has right. He says, often we look at what we're doing 
and ask God to bless us what, in what we're doing. And the, the, it ought to be 180 degrees. It ought to be us looking for what God is doing and asking God for the privilege and the opportunity to run toward that and flee from where we are. I love that sentiment. And I hope, I hope that we can do it. I, I believe we have many wonderful examples here in our history at Northside of saying, I don't, I don't know how, I don't know if it's even possible, but I, we see God working here so let's do that. Countless examples. Know your Bible's the easy one. But man, that, that thing still bears fruit. Every time I pick up the phone and hear somebody say, I have a question about the Bible, I think that started because 30 years ago, some people who, that, it, it was just an insurmountable project, but yet there were people who were called of God, and led by his spirit, and centered in Christ, and convicted in his word. And they were looking for where God was working, and they said, let's do that. So, what lessons can we learn? One, God is, God is patient. That doesn't mean he won't push your buttons. And uh, in a spirit of love, can I say, I hope he will. I hope he will. I hope he messes with you a little bit. And you can hope the same thing for me, by the way. It's two-way, okay? But I hope that there are some things in your life that you just want. That you, you're just, it's just you wanting it. It's just you focused on it. And I hope God just, he lets you have it and then he pulls it away. To remind you that he's got bigger plans than you do. He's always had bigger plans than you do. And he wants you to stop being worried about the stupid vine and the stupid worm and start going toward a city with 120,000 souls. God's patient. He wants everyone to come to repentance. And in this story, there was 120,001 people that needed to come to repentance. One, of course, was Nineveh, but the other was Jonah. He is gracious and merciful and slow to anger. He is willing to relent. And he wants hearts to turn. Second Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow as to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I know it's a wonderful thing that you have been saved by grace and washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. But there are people who are not. God loves you. He wants you secure and safe. But he also has thousands upon millions upon billions of souls that do not yet know Jesus. Should he not be concerned about them? May we as a church never, never lose sight of our love for souls. Those folks that come into CR and they think they're working on a, on a problem and, and you're all over there helping them and saying, hey, here's my story and here's how God's worked in it. That's achieving something because that's 
that's helping them connect with the mission and the glorious kingdom of God. So, so step into it. Step into that or whatever that reaches the Ninevites. Never, ever be comfortable or complacent. Because these are God's children. They are his lambs. And he wants all of them saved. And of course we know that that will not happen. That, that Jesus said many, few there be that find it. But let us not excuse ourselves from that mission. God is full of second chances. Both for the Ninevites, which just kind of made Jonah mad. But God's second chance was with Jonah. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of, of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And I used to always think about Hebrews 4.16 about being about me, about needing God's mercy and grace for me. But I think maybe there's a bigger thing there happening in saying God's given you that mercy and grace. Now you need to bring others to know that mercy and grace in their time of need, not just yours. And secondly, and finally, keep perspective. God wants you to be more concerned about the big things than about the little things. Be more concerned about the cities full of souls than vines and worms and all of that. Jesus said it this way. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry of itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I can pick on vines, but you know. It, for us, it could be the balance of your 401k. Who's going to buy your company and what that means for you. It could mean the stress or the struggle in your family. And, and we've got to look into the bigger picture. What you're worried about is not always what God is worried about. And our goal as we mature in Christ is to line up the things we're worried about with the things that God is worried about. What you're worried about now won't be what you're worried about later. You are fickle. You don't even know what's in your own best interest, really. Think, think of all the prayers that have been unanswered and how thankful you are that God did not answer them. Man. May we understand that God's really not concerned with your comfort. He is concerned with His purpose. And yes, he looks out after the sparrows. And he's not going to forget you either. But if your big picture in life is to get to a comfortable place, I hope God pushes your buttons. I hope God kills some vines and gets you to look up and look out and see a city full of dying people. He is concerned about your faithful obedience. He is concerned about your eternal salvation. He is concerned about the obedience and the salvation of all the souls of his children. He created every single one of them just as he created you. Tonight, if you need to know Christ, if you are not ready for eternity, then I want to call you, I want to invite you because God's got a mission and he wants you to be a part of it.
And I, you shouldn't have to be three days in the belly of a whale to understand that purpose. What you need to do is just simply trust and obey what he said to do. And I believe he's going to show you the journey home. And if you're on the journey, but you've been, you've been sitting down, pouting, focusing about your own thing, and focusing on your own comfort and forgetting about God's purpose, I hope that you'll change that. I hope that God will push your buttons, kill some vines, and get you back in the game and remind you of his true purpose. If you have a need tonight, I hope you come so we can help you and pray with you and encourage you. Whatever your need is, if you have one, come forward. I'll meet you down front as we stand and sing.